the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. Anything and everything is okay. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got a lot going on. Let me warn you in advance again. There has been horrible banging here all day long. The construction, uh, my producer went out says, yep, they're right outside your door now. So if you hear banging, um, maybe one day they'll get this construction done. Uh, I've seen miracles happen. It's possible. So uh, we're sorry for the inconvenience for any noise coming through. Uh, Also tonight, because it's Monday night, is our Sweet Summer Devotion Series. Amber Hargrove is going to be sharing her heart today. And uh, that tonight, 7 o'clock, Pastor Ken will be doing the men's study. And then, of course, uh, our youth pastors will be doing the junior high school and high school age kids as well. So you can make it a family affair. Uh, Ladies, don't miss the um, first testimony, really, of the Sweet Summer Devotion series this year. A couple other things. Let me just share with you. Paul and I are leaving on vacation a week from today. So we're going to have two weeks where there won't be a live radio show. What we've decided to do this time, kind of prayerfully, was um, rather than have somebody try to fill in, uh, I'm going to run a series of teachings that I did on parenting. Uh, I don't normally do this kind of thing, especially on this program, but we're going to each day, there'll be uh, one day will be devoted to one teaching. And uh, it's on parenting. It is by far the most popular series uh, that we've ever done in terms of requests and people wanting it. Literally, this series has been all around the world. So um, if you are interested for two weeks starting next Monday, uh, I'll be doing that series on parenting uh, on this program, and then we'll get back from vacation and share our heart with you, what God has been teaching us. So I'll remind you of that every day this week, and we'll... uh, uh, Going on vacation, we would appreciate your prayers. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first one is from Thomas. He said, Pastor Ron, how do you decide which books you're going to be teaching through? Um, Thomas, I just kind of pray. You know, uh, I used to spend a lot of time really agonizing over this. Uh, I don't like to go straight through the Bible, you know, Genesis and Exodus and on and on and on. 
uh, especially because there's so many books that are just dreary. I mean, if you get to the prophets and you just went one prophet after another prophet, we'd be ready to jump off a cliff. So um, uh, what I try to do is is just I want to seek the Lord. Lord, you know where we are. You know the people who are going to be here. Um, what book do you want? And I usually start this when I'm about three or four weeks away from finishing the book that I'm teaching through. Uh, this time, Thomas, it was pretty easy. You know, we've got two more weeks in uh, the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights. And um, um, the Lord was just really clear. He spoke to my heart. We're going to be starting Daniel when we get back from vacation. And um, uh, we're doing Revelation on Friday night. And um, uh, those two books go so wonderfully together. So uh, that was easy. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. You know, you can't go wrong. The Word is a living, active, written Word of God. So you can't go wrong. Whatever you teach is going to meet people where they are. But um, I've found that God has books that he likes to repeat. I tell our church here all the time that every Christian ought to read the book of Acts and the book of Revelation twice a year. And uh, so we teach those books more often than some of the others. Obviously, we need to be in the Gospels as often as we can. So uh, we also teach those books uh, more than others. But it's just basically I'm I'm seeking the leading of the Lord. And um, I, I have the, the privilege of knowing I can't be wrong because if I teach something um, that isn't exactly the will of God, if I'm wrong, uh, then the, the Word of God, the living, active Word of God is going to take care of it. So, Thomas, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Marty wants to know, what do you say to people who say that David and Jonathan were gay lovers? Um, Marty, I, I typically don't say anything to him. I just tell him, stop it. You know, it's, it's, um, uh, the, 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 the gay activists are over the top with this. Those who are professing Christians, this is the, the real tragedy, professing Christians and they're trying to justify their sin. Uh, David and Jonathan were closer than brothers. That's all it says. Both men, David is a man after God's own heart. Certainly, um, he couldn't contradict uh, the, 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 the nature and the character of God. Um, David was a man who wanted to please God. He didn't always succeed, but uh, there is no merit at all to the, the fact that, or the story that David and Jonathan were gay and, and it's okay to have a monogamous gay relationship. So um, it's just... Um, intellectual silliness, Marty. Hope that makes sense. And I know there are some uh, professing Christians who are advancing that theory. Uh, the key being professing Christians rather than real believers in Jesus Christ. Miguel says, Pastor Ron, can I have your view on Netanyahu being ousted in Israel? What does it say about the last days? You know, Miguel, I don't know exactly what it says about the last days. Um, but here's what I can say. I, I don't know what you caught it today, um, but um, Biden is being praised in in Jerusalem um, right now. It just just it just everything is is going exactly the way the the Bible says they will in the end times. So Netanyahu is a strong leader who was forceful in defending. Um, his city, his home, and um, we're going to find that, that he's going to be replaced by a weaker leader. We're going to see inroads made to um, a two-state solution uh, in in uh, Jerusalem. Um, and uh, I think all of this is the countdown for the very end. So um, the world is just racing at breakneck speed toward the end, Miguel. And I got a lot of views on Israel uh, that I don't want to take the time to deal with here. Um, but let's just say Israel is going to be okay. Jesus is coming back and setting his foot on the Mount of Olives. Revelation chapter 19 makes that really, really clear. I can tell you there will never be a permanent two-state solution. The land in Israel belongs to God. Uh, I would not be surprised if um, there would be a move supported by this government and the new Israeli government to move the uh, capital away from Jerusalem to, to uh, probably Tel Aviv again. Um, but it just, it, the end time scenario is just playing out before our very eyes, Miguel. And uh, we need to pray for the peace of Israel. That's, of course, praying that Jesus will return. 
uh, but we need to be steadfast in our support for Israel. And we're finding more and more professing Christians who are anti-Israel. The media is winning the battle, the PR battle for sure. So, Miguel, that's really all I feel like commenting on regarding that. It is not a good move for Israel, for their safety, for their security. Uh, It might be a good move for us because it just means that the Lord's return for his church. Remember, that's first. For his church is coming very soon. Okay, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, he or she wants to know, what do I do when I feel the enemy's trying to trap me and destroy me? Um, anonymous, there's only one place to run. You either run from Jesus or you run to Jesus. In this particular case, when the enemy's surrounding you, you've got to run to him. And the way you run to him is with all of your heart with all of your strength and with all of your soul and you do it every single morning Um, and the enemy is relentless you know that by now and you're right he does want to destroy you but God is infinitely stronger Christ in you the hope of glory this is a battle you cannot lose if you stay close to Jesus but here's the problem anonymous if you try to fight um, the enemy and his schemes and Peter makes it clear that he has schemes If you try to fight in your own strength, he will destroy you. So this is one of those times when you uh, open your Bible and you say, Okay, Lord, I want to know more about you. In your time of prayer, you run to the Lord and just lay your heart before him. It's where you keep short accounts. If you're guilty of sinning, if you fail, uh, even momentarily, you repent and you do it instantly. Ask God to forgive you and then the power of the Holy Spirit will come back in uh, upon you. And that's what you need. You need to fight in the power of the Lord, in his mighty strength, because we don't have the strength. We don't possess the strength to do this on our own. So that's it. You run to Jesus. You spend time with him. Run from, be like Joseph, and run from the source of temptation and um, run to Jesus, and you're going to be okay. There's no safer place to be than with Jesus. Here is a question from Nathan. God's mercy is forever, so I believe God will forgive us even after we die if we ask him. Well, Nathan, it's nice that you believe that, but you have no basis for believing it. God's mercy is forever, but remember, he also said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Judgment will come to everybody else. Who does God choose to have mercy on? Those who believe. Hebrews 9.27, pretty clear. It is appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. So while God's mercy is forever, that's for sure. His mercy is only available to those who will receive it. And you may not be comfortable with the concept of hell, But we have to remember, if there's no hell, we do not have a holy God. If there's no hell, if there's no eternal judgment, then we do not have a righteous God, a loving God. Love without holiness, love without justice, isn't love at all. Let me ask you, Nathan, to consider the victims of horrible, horrible crimes. Does God not love them? Is he not going to deliver justice for them? And the fact is that every human being, the worst among us, including me, every human being is offered the forgiveness of sins. My sins, your sins can be covered by the blood of Jesus. But those who reject the only solution to sin, well, they're going to have to stand before this ultimately holy God and give account for their sins. And when they stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about giving you a second chance because you you tried hard. He's going to ask you, and he knows the answers to all the questions that he asks. But he's going to ask you, Nathan, what did you do with my son Jesus? Now, if this makes you feel better and you can continue to sin, well, that's the choice you're going to make. But regardless of what you feel or believe, regardless of the choice you make, you cannot escape the consequences for rejecting Jesus Christ. So you're right, God's mercy is forever, but so is eternal 
judgment. One of the things, Nathan, that we need to do is remember always that we're created in the image of God, and in large part that means we're we're eternal. From the moment we we uh, have life in the womb, from that moment we are eternal. We're going to live somewhere forever, and there are only two choices. We can live with God, we call that heaven. We can live independent of God, we call that hell. And when you make that choice, you have to be accountable for the choice you made. It's not the choice God wants anybody to make. But this whole touchy-feely, well, I feel because of God's mercy, um, there's no biblical basis for that whatsoever. And all you're doing with it is making your trip to hell more comfortable. And that's a really sad, sad condition to be in. Here is an anonymous question, maybe kind of sparked by my Bible study yesterday in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is anonymous. Pastor Ron, is speaking in tongues real or fake? Um, anonymous is both <laughs> at times. But when you're genuinely exercising the gift of tongues, speaking in other languages, um, it's real. I have the gift of tongues. Um, God would love for you to have the gift of tongues. Um, but it's real depending on your position with God, depending on your heart for God depending on your obedience to God and whether or not you want to use the gift for His glory or for your own. And by that I mean sometimes we like to speak in tongues so that we feel spiritual or so that other people think we're spiritual. That's fake. That's counterfeit. Um, But the gift of tongues itself is a wonderful gift. Paul wouldn't have said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do if it was a bad gift. The other thing that we have to consider is just the nature of God. Is it even possible, Anonymous? Is it even a possibility that God would give you a gift that wasn't good or wasn't authentic? I'm doing a series um, now uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on the gifts of the Spirit. We just started it yesterday. And in starting it yesterday... Uh, there's there's so much misinformation out there about the gifts, all of them, but especially tongues. When you walk into a church and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, that's not real. That's not the Spirit of God. That's uh, the unholy spirit. Uh, that's flesh. That's what the, the Corinthians were guilty of, of doing. And so when you, you see the gift of being abused, um, then what you're you're seeing is flesh. You're seeing carnality. When the gift is used according to the will of God, according to the instructions given to us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, motivated by 1 Corinthians 13, love, it's a beautiful gift. It's the least of all the gifts. It's the least of all the gifts because it's very personal. It's individual. I, I, I like to think of it as vertical rather than horizontal. The other gifts are for the common good. So when we're given a gift by God, it's horizontal. It goes out to other people. But, but tongues is just between me and God. And it's a gift that edifies my relationship with the Lord. It's a gift that, that although uh, I may not understand what I'm saying, and I, I do not have the gift of interpretation, Anonymous. Uh, even though I do not understand what I'm saying, I treasure the use of the gift. Um, I probably do not speak in tongues every day, but most days I do. It's not something that I can't control. Obviously, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But it is a wonderful gift. And again, that's why Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. He's saying it's a good gift. Don't be afraid of it. And the reality is that there's just a lot of people who think it's weird. There's a lot of people because of the the backlash, the the backlash to the uh, misuses and abuses of tongues. They just think it's strange. It makes them feel kind of creepy. And the enemy comes right along and says, oh, you're just making it up or faking it. That's not really the Spirit of God. Uh, So there's a lot of people who will not receive the gift of tongues. I personally believe that God would give the gift to everyone, but I also understand that not everyone can or will receive it, and so there are many, in fact, even most, who don't. 
But let me say something to you that I said to our church here yesterday. All the spiritual gifts that God gives are for other people. He gives to you, but that through you, the gifts of the Spirit could flow to others. And so often, and especially with this gift of tongues, our motivation is selfish, self-centered, would be better stated, I think. And, um, you know, we, we just don't exercise the gifts with the heart that God wants us to exercise them. And I think that's when we start quenching the Spirit. Let me also add that whenever you walk into a church and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, uh, the, the, the Spirit of God is completely driven out. Completely driven out. We cannot, Paul says, two or three at the most in the assembly. And always with an interpretation. So if there's no interpretation, there's no more tongues. But two or three at the most. So how do you justify going into a church where everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time? Again, I have the gift of tongues. We are a charismatic church. But we practice the gifts of the Spirit in order. In a way that honors the Lord. And anything else is not the Spirit of God. It's either the Spirit of the Antichrist or it's just our flesh. I'm going to be for quite some time speaking about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I'm going to do, uh, I did verses 1 through 3 yesterday. I'm going to do, I think, 4 through 9, just the first part of 9 this coming Sunday. Uh, So stay tuned. Uh, CalvarySA.com, you can listen to it or you can watch it live stream or you can join us here at the church. Here's another question from Miguel. I don't know if it's the same Miguel. Um, He says very simply, flood, local? Or worldwide. Miguel, the flood was worldwide. It was not a local flood. Um, I, I know the, the the proponents of other creation um, theories uh, would like to make it a local flood. But it was a worldwide flood. Uh, in the whole world, only eight people survived. And um, it changed the topography. It changed the landscape of the world that we live in. Uh, enormously. I had somebody uh, not too long ago ask about the location of the Garden of Eden. Um, and and there are general directions to the Garden of Eden given to us in our Bibles. But we have to remember that the topography of the entire earth was changed completely. And the Garden of Eden, I'm sure, lost um, at the time of the flood. So uh, those are the things that um, we have to remember um, but but the flood was worldwide. It was a picture of the judgment that's going to come upon the whole world for rejecting Jesus Christ um, in Revelation chapter 19. And then after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, um, when people are cast into and re- rejectors are cast in to the lake of fire. And uh, the uh, flood of Noah is just a picture of of a far greater judgment to come. Make no mistake, it was judgment then, and it's judgment now. Lane says, I go to a church that speaks a lot about praying against spirits of sinful stuff. Is that okay, and what's a balanced view of the demonic world? Um, Lane, um, um, if you're talking about the spirit of cancer, the spirit of sex, or the spirit of of drunkenness, those kind of things, all of that is charismatic nonsense. Just charismatic nonsense. So uh, you're you're in an unhealthy, uh, out-of-balance church. Um, They have a low view of the Word of God. They don't teach it. uh, And certainly they don't practice it in their services. The balanced view of the demonic world is vital because the balanced view is sometimes we give Satan way too much credit, we blame him for everything, and sometimes we completely ignore him. Neither of those positions is balanced. We need, as Peter said, to to be alert, sober, and vigilant. The devil roars around like a prowling lion. He is real and he is powerful. But what we need to do is remember that he's no match for Jesus. So the balanced world, we don't have to be afraid of demons. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. What we have to do is be with Jesus so he handles the enemies that will come against us for us. I don't fight the devil. I don't shout at the devil. 
I just, Jesus, I don't want to hear from him. I want to hear from you. And I try to stay so close to Jesus that the enemy can't find an opening. I want to be like Job when he's inspecting me. I don't want him to find uh, an available opening at all. I want to be with Jesus. I don't want to think about the devil. I don't want to hear from the devil. So I just really try hard to leave um, the devil's activity in my life to Jesus. And I think, Lane, that is the most balanced view of all. To shout at demons, to take authority over demons uh, is is unbiblical nonsense. Um, we just know who he is. We know what he does. We've been warned by the Lord uh, in his word. And the only thing that we need to do is is let Jesus handle him for us. I think that's the best way. But again, I think you're in a, an unhealthy, out-of-balance church. And I would start looking for a church that teaches the Bible. So, Lane, thank you for the question. I hope that makes sense. Well, the phones are quiet. I don't know why in the summertime sometimes the phones go silent. We'd love your calls and questions at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Monday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Christian. Good name, Christian. He said, Pastor Ron, what happens to people who were saved but have left the faith. Christian, nobody who's really saved leaves the faith for good. This is one of those things where we've really got to understand um, uh, doctrine. Um, when we're saved, Ephesians chapter 1 says that we receive the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now that's pretty strong language guarantee, that guarantee comes from God. It's an unbreakable guarantee. Now, it's true that there are a lot of people who, I'm going to use the polite word, backslide. We, we, we just decide we're going to sin. And, and uh, we know it happens. All the time it happens. But what we find out at some point along their journey is whether or not they ever really belong to the Lord or not. First John says that chapter 2, verse 19, that they went out from us because they were never really a part of us. Judas would be a good example of that. He he um, condemned to an eternity in hell. But Jesus said he was the son of perdition from the beginning, doomed to destruction. So he never really belonged to Jesus, although he appeared to. And Christian, there's a lot of people who appear to belong to Jesus. Uh, in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about soils. He's really talking about human hearts or the condition of human hearts. And he offers four different examples of hearts. We sow the, 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 the word. We scatter seed, the word of God. It falls on different people. And we've all seen people that have very emotional, um, what appears to be conversion experiences. Uh, they cry and they 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 seem to accept the Lord with great joy and for a short time they they walk with Jesus but then they just fade away were they ever really saved? No on the other hand there's some people that are really saved and God has used them and they too have fallen away sin is a heart hardener and the enemy is is going to take advantage of that and he's going to try to destroy real Christians but the Christians who are really his. Jesus said, I've not lost any that the Father has given me. And so the Christians that are really his are going to come back. Sometimes, and I've experienced this as a pastor, Christian, on, on many occasions where somebody, when they get sick or they're getting ready to die, um, they'll, they'll call and want to talk because 
They know they've sinned against God, and they want to make sure they're going to be right with God. And that's just what Jesus does. In, in his mercy, he goes and gets people who um, who were really his. He's not going to lose anybody, but we've got to, without judging any hearts, we've got to understand the difference between the profession of faith that is not authentic and the profession of faith that is. And God is the only one who knows the human heart. That's why we're told to, to, to not to judge others lest we ourselves be judged. But God knows those who are his. Galatians 6 says God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. We may not know, but, but rest assured, Christian, that everybody who really belongs to Jesus is going to get to heaven and um, God is going to make their life exceptionally difficult while they're in sin away from him. That's just the way he is in his love. Let's go to Samuel from Bandera. Samuel, sorry, you were holding a bit. Thanks for holding. You're on the air. Thank you very much, Pastor Ron. It's great talking to you. I'm actually Thank just you. at a work site Bandera. However, oh, my question is regarding suicide. I'd like for you to enlighten me uh, regarding, see, I, I, I grew up Catholic, then that went sour and went to another church, which is Prosperity Church. So that went sour, too. Went to another one, and they always left us dry. But I always ask the question, all three stated that uh, suicide was unforgivable sin. And uh, I've always believed that, that regardless of what, what faith you are, you take your own life. Uh, the Lord does not forgive you because it was not your life in the first place to take. And I was just kind of on a loan. Can you enlighten me uh, where it says in the Bible that you are forgiven or not forgiven? Just uh, yeah, I, I can hang up. I, wait for your yep, response. I, I can, Samuel. Thank you very, very much for this. I, I, I always like the opportunity to talk about God's mercy, and I hope this is encouraging as well as enlightening. The one thing that we have to understand, first and foremost, is the transaction that occurs um, uh, on the cross. Uh, when we receive Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, and future sins. That means sins that God knows that we're going to be guilty of that, that we don't even know anything about yet. So when we have been given his righteousness, Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so that means all sins are forgiven now, our fellowship as Christians is broken when we sin. We, we have to take 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. And then fellowship is restored. And it is true that uh, Christians who commit suicide, um, Samuel, they, they have broken fellowship with God. But that's fellowship here on this earth. They can't break a guarantee of heaven that was given to them by God. I know the Catholic Church teaches that it is a mortal sin, but that is not a biblical position at all. And the reality, as tragic as it is, the reality is that um, sometimes uh, the devil wins. Sometimes our flesh is overwhelmed. Sometimes circumstances are so overwhelming that we, we just can't see. And the, the honest truth is that a lot of Christians who are so focused on the pain in their lives, um, they're, they're not focused enough on Jesus, and they're trying to fight a supernatural enemy in their own strength, and they can't. And there are times when the enemy wins and people do commit suicide. I'm talking about Christians. And when that happens, um, their sins are forgiven, past, present, future, even the one that took their own life. Uh, and they're going to stand before the Lord, and they're going to lose rewards. Uh, it's not going to be a, a good thing when they stand before God. But remember, all their sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't depend on us at all. The Bible says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Uh, he is the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. So we need to understand that our salvation is a gift from God. It's not up to us. Uh, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work for it. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
And um, uh, sadly, people sometimes just lose the battle. Um, Samuel, I have buried four people in 26 years who committed suicide. And of those four, three of them, I am absolutely 100% convinced, are in heaven. Uh, I watched their struggles. I, I, I saw the, the the horrible teaching that they were exposed to, in other places, and and uh, you know they just weren't given the 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 tools to fight. Um, the other person of the four that committed suicide, um, I, I think, and I certainly hope, is in heaven, but I don't know for sure. Not nearly as sure as about the other three. Um, so we just have to understand. All of our sins are forgiven. If if suicide has not been forgiven, then it is also true that all of our sins are not forgiven. So it's not a matter of you don't have a chance to repent. When we accept Jesus Christ, we have repented of our sins, and his blood covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. Samuel, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Cindy on line two from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you. Doing well. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know what? I was I was wondering about the hundred and forty four thousand. Now I don't know if I have this tangled up or not, but I thought that you had said that they all come from the twelve different tribes, and what I'm wondering. If they're if they come from the twelve different tribes, well, sorry, my phone just did that. It was just never mind. Sorry. Um, anyways, if they're coming from the twelve different tribes, is there like a DNA strand that you know that has just gone through all the years that you know makes them related? And and how do they? If not, then how do they determine which tribe they're from? So I'll let you untangle me in all this. And I hope you and Mama Paula have a wonderful time out at the Pacific and you can see ocean breezes while we're roasting to death back here. (laughs) I'm so happy, Cindy. I'm so happy that it actually feels like summer now because all of May and most of June, or at least the first part of June, it didn't. So we're excited about this. But yeah, vacation, uh, we're looking forward to it this year for sure. Cindy, 144,000. Oh, after not getting to go last year. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Cindy, the 144,000 comes out of Revelation chapter 7, and we're given the identity. So this isn't uh, 144,000 Jews walking around trying to to find out what their, their lineage is from. God knows who they are. And God is looking down the corridor of time and space when he makes this prediction, and he's going to choose 144,000. Those 144,000 chosen by God will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in that particular situation, uh, they will be chosen and preserved and sent by God. So there's no mystery here. It's not... Um, we've got to do DNA testing to find out where we came from. God knows them all. And he is preparing and preserving. I believe those men um, are alive. Uh, I believe they are being raised uh, for this very purpose right now. We know that they're men who are concerned about purity. They're men that hadn't slept with a woman. Uh, they're, they're, they're men that God has called um, whether or not they know they're called, uh, my, my, my opinion is they don't know that they're called yet or until the time gets very, very close. But when the time comes, they're going to know it and the call is going to be absolutely unmistakable. And they're going to be sent out into this world um, to lead a revival um, greater than anything we've ever imagined in the world. Imagine, uh, and this is just the way I view it, Cindy, imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls, only young and vigorous and invincible, because God's going to mark them so they can't be harmed and they can't be sealed. They're going to be given miraculous powers, and uh, the the 144,000 in the rest of the world, along with the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, in Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, they are going to be um, given great miraculous power 
and and going to lead the greatest revival in the history of the world. So that's the 144,000, Cindy, and it doesn't depend on them tracing their roots. God knows exactly who they are and where they are. And again, I'm hopeful, I believe, that uh, those men are being prepared even now. And I'm excited about that possibility. Hope that helps, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here's a question called into the studio from Annie. Um, she says, I am discouraged because I've not been to church since the beginning of COVID. I also have a question, Matthew. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Is he referring to Christians? Uh, what if I think I'm following the Lord, but it comes out that I'm not? Any, a couple of things. Let me encourage you at the beginning. First and foremost, you don't have to worry about it. God is the author and the finisher of your faith. I just used that verse uh, to somebody else. Um, even the fact that you're worried about it is is encouraging to me. Um, so when Jesus is talking, and you have to remember the Jewishness of the Gospels, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. And Jesus is telling the religious leaders who are trying to kill him. I think sometimes we forget that in the background of all of this stuff going on in the Gospels, is is a murder plot against Jesus. And Jesus knows it. And he says, on that day, many, the day of judgment, many, he's speaking to Jews, now about Jews, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, why do you call me Lord and you do not do what I say? Now, obviously, any the principle there is just as important for us because there's a whole bunch of Christians that call Jesus Lord and they don't do what he tells them to do. They're not living obedient lives. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. We've got to be obedient. That's how we know that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And again, Andy, I can just tell from your heart that you love Jesus, you want to please him, and that's important. Now, let's get to what I think is the most important part of your question. You said you're discouraged because you've not been to church since the beginning of COVID. That's why you're struggling so much. That's why you're discouraged. It's not healthy to be out of church. And and Annie, I don't know if it's fear keeping you home or maybe you've just fallen into a rut of of uh, staying home. But you got to get back in church. And you need to get back in church immediately. If I were you, I'd find a church that is open tonight. I don't know where you are, but we're going to have a bunch of beautiful women here uh, tonight who are going to be meeting together in the Sweet Summer Devotion Series. You need to be in fellowship, and you need to be in fellowship now. So, Annie, if you live in this part of San Antonio, we're in the northeast part of town, then go to calvarysa.com, get our information, and find a way to get here. And do me a favor. If you come tonight, please ask for Paula. It's my wife, and and let her know that you're the one who called on the radio, and she'll make sure that you're in fellowship. But we've got to take our lives back. You know, at the beginning of COVID, I'm going to take a few minutes here because this is a, I can't tell you what a burden this is on my heart. Not just for you, Annie, but this is for everybody. We have been lied to about COVID. We've been lied to about the necessity of of masks, the necessity of quarantines. And this is what happens. As a pastor, my heart breaks because Christians, people that we're supposed to be shepherding, Christians are languishing all alone. And we don't do well in isolation. We become targets for the enemy. He has us right where he wants us. And we've got to get to that place where we no longer give in to fear. Stop listening to news. Start using your brain. Speak. Uh, just think logically. And they told us millions and millions of people were going to die. That hasn't happened. They scared us to the point where nobody knew. what We were thinking it's going to be like the Black Plague. That didn't happen. We had 53 people here within the same week stricken with COVID. And while there's been 
a couple people with languishing effects. Everybody else just got through it like you get through anything else. Personally, I didn't even have any symptoms apart from losing my sense of smell and taste. I never even stopped exercising any. But the one thing that the Lord made clear to me is that the enemy is going to use this to try to keep people away from church. The states and the local municipalities, county governments, uh, in in some states, um, they did everything they could to make it impossible to gather in church. In Canada, they're still doing it, by the way. You know what? You've got to come home. Or come, come, Get out of your house and come home. Home to the body of Christ. And any on your own, it's not because you're not a strong Christian. It's just because none of us are strong on our own. We need each other. We need to be in the body. You know, one of the great things, Annie, that, that I'm watching here at Calvary Chapel Remember, I can't see well, so people have to get in my face, but I'm talking to a lot of people. The number of new people here is amazing. Just just astonishing, the number of new people that are coming in. And a lot of those people are coming from churches that were closed. And they were closed uh, in fear, by fear, and... Um, People couldn't stay away from church anymore, so they found a church that was open. Now they hear in the Bible taught, and, and it's just like the lights have been turned on. And every week, I'm seeing somebody with tears rolling down their face, Annie, because they're back where they need to be. We simply can't be afraid. We cannot let fear dictate whether or not we're obedient to the Lord. And he says that we're not to to neglect the assembling together of the saints. So that's the reason you're discouraged. That's the reason you're having questions about your salvation. Am I going to be one of those that Jesus is depart from me? You need to get back in the game. And you cannot be afraid. Annie, you can still wear masks. We don't require masks. So if you're masked or maskless, God bless you. But you've got to get out of the house. And you've got to get back in fellowship. The health and the vibrancy of your walk with Jesus depends on it. That's how important this is, Annie. And for the people, you know, I told you we had a bunch of people at the beginning. I took an unbelievable amount of criticism from people who said, Well, Pastor Ron, you don't care about people's health because you, you, you're opening the church and, and people are going to die and it's going to be your fault. Just horrible stuff. I just thought, you've been in, some of these people have been in my church for, for 10, 15, 20 years. And they were so afraid, so afraid that they questioned whether or not I cared about people. I mean, that's demonic. I care so much. I'm watching Christians like you, Annie, who are really having a tough time because they're in a position where they can't thrive. We've got to decide to take our life back in Christ. And we do that by being an active part of a church. So get back to church. There's no excuse for it. It's safe, uh, as safe as it's possible to be. And, um, and we've got to live our lives. We've got to live our lives. 340-9585. I think I'm inside five minutes, so if you want to call with a question, you need to call pretty quick. Here's a question from Ramon. He says, of all God's attributes, which is the most valuable? Ramon, of, of all of God's attributes, they, they all flow from the primary attribute of His holiness. That's it. I, I think people expect me to answer this question by saying love, love, but... But it's not, there's no love without holiness. When we see in Isaiah chapter 6, the, the vision of the throne and the angels that are attending the throne of God, they're surrounding the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not saying powerful or love or, or, or merciful. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So that is his overriding attribute, holiness. It means that he's perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly righteous, and everything good that comes from God comes from that one attribute. So that's the one 
that we really need to focus on the most, and then all of the others will flow from that. Ramon, I'd be interested uh, to know if you want to write me back why you're asking that question. Um, I think sometimes we look at God and we think about power and we think about miracles and we think about all those things, but but um, his, his omnipotence or his omniscience, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere at the same time. Um, and and I think I think sometimes we look at those things like well that's the the goal, the goal is holiness, and the real beauty Ramon, is that we're all going to be just like him, when we stand before him. Good question. Last one of the day from Sharon. Why do Christians fear death, even though they believe in Jesus in heaven? Well, Sharon, I think that's an easy one. Instinctively, we're created by God for survival. Uh, I don't fear death. I'm, I'm not at all wild about the process of dying, believe me. But I don't fear death. Uh, I believe in Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. Um, but I also don't want to miss out on anything he has for me here. It's like he gave me a job, and I've got to finish that job. And so I don't want to die before that time. If I was diagnosed with a terminal disease, um, then then I would fight as hard as I could um, to stay active, to keep doing what God's called me to do as long as I could so that when I stood before him, he could look at me and say, well done, or at least nice try. And um, so it's not necessarily a fear of death. Now, there are Christians that fear death. I, I get that. But I think for most of us, it's just we want to live. So there's that tension that's always going to be between, yeah, I want to be with Jesus, but but not today. I want to live for him here. And then let him decide where we're going to be. Thank you, Sharon. Don't forget tonight, Sweet Summer Devotions, ladies. Amber Hargrove will be sharing her heart. Um, That's tonight at 7 o'clock. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.